The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast with your host, metaphysician, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week, we will discover teachings, tips, and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? First of all, I'd like to thank everybody for this wonderful opportunity. This exhibition is very important in my estimation. So thank you to Rich, to John, to everybody who put this together, the university, the art department, everybody who made this possible. I thank you so much. So um, about me. There we go. There we go. About me. That's me. Um, so yes, I'm a spiritual medium. I'm a medical intuitive. Reiki master and a regressive and healing hypnosis practitioner. I practice readings, Reiki, and regression in the Kansas City area and online. I'm also the host of the Radiate Wellness Podcast, which Rich has so graciously been on, and the Real Life Angel Encounters Podcast as well. I get to interview practitioners, psychics, authors, experiencers, and visionaries for these two shows. I'm also known as the soccer mom psychic and the foul mouth angel lady. <laughs> my passion in my career is to let clients know who and what they truly are and that no one is ever truly alone. We have unseen guides and helpers who are with us constantly. I peer into what's called the Akashic Records or a vast etheric hall of records overseen by our masters, teachers, elders, and loved ones containing the records of our thoughts, words, and actions across lifetimes. This allows us to see the soul families that we travel with lifetime after lifetime, our plan for this life and others, and our lives and our soul's purpose. As a medical intuitive, I am privy to the emotions and energies that clients hold in their bodies. Over time, these thoughts, emotions, and beliefs create energetic blockages and even physical dis-ease that I can see and clear with Reiki energy. I know this sounds really crazy, but trust me, it truly works, and it's real. It helps to improve health, remove symptoms, and speed healing. I even wrote a chapter about this in the international best-selling book, The Gap, Simple Steps to Reclaim Your Health and Reverse Most Chronic Diseases. It's for sale in the library, by the way. Uh, <laughs> one of the hypnosis methods I use is quantum healing hypnosis technique. I am one of 31 level 3 QHHT, QHHT practitioners in the world. QHHT, as developed by the late Dolores Cannon, is a hypnosis technique that allows us to lift the veil and glimpse the other side to see other lifetimes that we need to understand and call in our higher self for additional insight and healing. We do this through visualization and deep relaxation. I guide clients to what's known as the theta state of consciousness, one that we enter into two times each and every day, right before we go to sleep and right when we awaken. At the time that Dolores was first refining this technique, the conventional wisdom was said that not to work with clients in this state because strange things will happen. 
And they did. In this state of consciousness, we enter a vivid dreamlike state in which we can experience a thinning of the veil. Clients describe other worlds and other dimensions in which they have rich experiences of learning, healing, and growth. Also in this, this technique, they have the opportunity to speak to their higher selves through the subconscious or the consciousness that's just behind our waking consciousness. But why do we do this? To answer the questions of life, the universe, and everything as Douglas Adams once posited, to explore these questions, we must turn to the creative process. The nexus between spirituality and art is as old as the Venus of Willendorf itself. Our place in and understanding of the universe is and always has been a grand quest. This is an important role of art, music, and dance. It's also why people seek psychics, astrology, and prayer. We want and need to connect with something greater than ourselves. As a professional medium, this is my job. Total world domination of the message that we are not alone. That each one of us is bigger than we can even imagine. That the greater part of us is connected to God itself, however we see it. The epigraph of this exhibition, a quote from Paul Gauguin, where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Has been life's greatest mystery since humans first expressed consciousness. Ever since we had the thought to ask these questions, we created cave paintings, figurines, music, magic, and ritual to connect with and explain the gods who surely must be our source. As a spiritual medium and coach, this is my bread and butter to connect with the other side, to deliver messages, meaning, and hope to clients who are lost spiritually and emotionally. But when I was asked to speak at this exhibition, I had no idea what I was going to say. I had no idea if I could offer anything useful. I'm not an artist. Spiritual and creative, yeah. Singer and actor sometimes, but not a visual artist. So I started to reflect on the artists that I know. Two immediately came to mind, David Ditchfield and Susan Walter. What these artists have in common is that they have glimpsed the great mystery. They're both near-death experiencers, and they're both featured in this exhibition. Susan's art is right over here on the wall. She's got two pieces, these mandalas, and David's, uh, two of his prints are back on the back wall. Plus, David's music is being played in the, in the lobby area when, we, when you filtered in. In 2006, David Ditchfield was pulled under a train. You may have heard about it. His case gained global attention and expanded safety features on public transit in England. During David's subsequent surgery to save his arm, he had a near-death experience. In it, David was met by a team of angelic healers, including one in a black t-shirt and another a Native American woman. After his life-changing experience, David was drawn no, compelled, to paint it, to create a symphony and write a book of his story. Mind you, David was a very rudimentary musician, a wannabe punk rocker who knew approximately three chords. And while he designed basic signs and t-shirts, he was not what one would consider an artist. And growing up dyslexic, he was not exactly a writer either. Yet David completed many canvases. He was not... Um, many canvases he wrote an entire symphony based on his experience with no prior composition experience and wrote the best-selling story of his life that will be made into a film soon. Now, the copy of his book is also available in the lobby, I should add. In fact, many of David's pieces are in them. Some of his pieces are in this show as, and his music. Oh, that's David. So sorry. So David, his art symphony and then the book that's uh, available in the lobby his, along with his website. And then Susan Walter. Susan Walter had two near-death child experiences as a child during life-saving surgeries. One when she was four years old and the other when she was six. After this she began seeing and talking with her angels. As an adult in 1997 she began seeing other people's angels as well and they told her to start painting them. 
Susan had no formal training and was kind of intimidated by this, but they told her, no worries, we'll help you, we'll teach you. They insisted they'd help her, so she started creating artwork. Over the years, Susan has won awards for her angelic and visionary art. Later, these angels started talking to her in music, so specifically sofelgio frequencies, which she translated into two-dimensional mandalas, turning them into full-color greeting cards and coasters and even coloring books. Then Susan also began doing sound healing using singing crystal bowls. If you look at Susan's natal chart and the charts of her near-death experience dates, which Mary Jane Stodenman has done, Mary Jane, of course, is going to be speaking Friday night, she is an artist by nature. Plus, she was not supposed to make it through these near-death experiences, according to her natal chart. Further, from her birth chart, Susan seems to have chosen some sort of spiritual exchange. Susan believes that a walk-in, or the other, came in during these experiences, meaning that during her near-death experiences, she may have had another soul walk in to tag-team her original soul and continue her life here, her journey on Earth. It's certainly interesting to think about as you explore her works that are featured in this exhibition. Then somebody else came to mind. Dr. Eben Alexander, you may have heard of him. A former professed atheist, Dr. Alexander spent over 25 years as an academic neurosurgeon. Then in 2008, he went into a coma by way of a rare and mysterious bacterial meningoencephalitis of unknown cause. He spent a week in a coma on a ventilator, not expected to come out of it. On the seventh day, to the surprise of everyone, he started to awaken with memories of a beautiful afterlife, complete with music. He now envisions a more complete reconciliation of modern science and spirituality as a natural product of his experience. Since his near-death experience, Dr. Alexander has dedicated himself to sharing information about near-death experiences and other spiritually transformative experiences and what they teach us about consciousness and the nature of reality. His co-produced CD, Seeking Heaven, uses digital harmonic frequencies, sacred instruments, sounds of nature, and the human voice to help listeners recreate the four stages of Dr. Alexander's miraculous spiritual experience. And then his book, Proof of Heaven, is wonderful. I suggest reading it. And then he's also written a few other books as well. Then we have Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor's TED Talk and book of the same name, My Stroke of Insight. One day in 1996, Dr. Taylor experienced a severe hemorrhage in, her left, in the left hemisphere of her brain. And this was really cool because she happened to be a Harvard-trained and published neuroanatomist whose research specialized in understanding how the brain creates our perception of reality. During her ordeal, she experienced the left hemisphere of her brain, which tells us that we're separate and is in charge of logical thinking, go offline, letting the right hemisphere of her brain take over. The right brain is responsible for creativity and intuition and helps us feel connected to all that is. The bleeding in her brain caused Taylor to go in and out of two separate consciousnesses, that of the left brain and of the right. When her left brain was online, she realized, I need help. How do I get help? I need to call someone. I need a number. What's our, what are numbers? And where do I find one? She rifled through the papers on her desk and found a business card. Covering one eye so that she could see better, Taylor painstakingly compared the squiggles on the card with the buttons on the phone. When someone finally answered, they sounded to her like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Right? When the left hemisphere of her brain went offline, she was live in the right hemisphere, which she describes as la-la land. All is one. I am connected to everything. I am part of all that is. It was absolutely beautiful. At the end of her talk, an emotional Dr. Taylor says, we get to choose. We get to choose where we live in the left hemisphere of the brain that keeps us separate and has us remember to buy bananas 
or the right, which reminds us that we're connected to the universe and part of absolutely everything. What unites these creators is the drive, no, the compulsion to tell their stories, in some cases with art and creativity. They've glimpsed the other side and are compelled to express it. What is it about lifting the veil that is so compelling? Meaning, yes, discovering our place, beauty, but also connection with the thrill of divine love and eternity, and possibly glimpses into the answers to the questions, where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? So why am I talking about this? I haven't had a near-death experience or a major stroke, but I do have the ability to express my connection with the other side through my spiritual gifts and the beauty of that spiritual connection. Oh, nope, there we go. I do this with four distinct spiritual gifts. I call these the clairs. Clairvoyance, or the gift of sight that's connected to intuition. Clairvoyance is the ability to receive pictures, symbols, colors, and even whole scenes that have significance, either in our mind's eye or through the physical eyes. Then there's clairaudience, or the gift to receive intu intuition through auditory means, from a song on the radio that has a particular relevance to a recent thought or question or to a loved one's favorite song heard in an unlikely space, to even hearing our name called or etheric music. Then there's claircognizance, or the gift of receiving a thought or a block of thought directly into the mind, popping in from nowhere. And then finally, clairsentience, which is basically every other sense, from a gut feeling to a significant aroma to truth bumps to feeling something brush against the skin. These spiritual gifts tell us that we are part of all that is, part of the spiritual experience. I began at an early age with clairvoyance, seeing ghosts when I was a baby, and adding claircognizance in my upper elementary years, then adding clairaudience and finally clairsentience as an adult when I started working with clients. But I'm not special. We are all born fresh from the veil with these abilities. They're a birthright. I compare this with the ability to sing. From birth, we all have the ability to sing. Some are just more naturally gifted from birth. Others can train to improve, but we can all sing. We're also all born intuitive, some more so than others, and some can learn to use and refine their gifts. I always recommend to clients to use these gifts once we know about them. They make our lives richer and more connected. The other side, where we find the answers to life's great mysteries, is closer than you think. You don't have to croak or experience half of your brain going offline to connect with it. You just have to be open. Thank you. Did you know that Radiate Wellness is more than just a podcast? That's right. We're also a comprehensive holistic wellness practice. Find out about our services, practitioners, and upcoming events at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. While you're there, visit our podcast page to read more about our great guests and even donate to the podcast. If you like our podcast, you can help in other ways as well, like subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening right now. Tell a friend, a family member, or a co-worker about the great content you find here. And if you wouldn't mind, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, or a positive review. Sounds like a small thing, but it really helps. You might like to know about our Facebook communities while we're at it. We have a free community, the Radiate Wellness Community, on Facebook for news and great free content. Our subscribers group is Radiate U, as in the letter U, but also, well, you. There you'll find curated replays of past classes, guest interviews, and more. And now, back to our podcast and back to our guest. Well, in a word, I can tell you what I don't do. <laughs> um, I don't write columns in newspapers, first of all. 
I don't uh, like to walk into a room and say, oh, that person's a cancer, yeah. Oh, that Mars in the Leo is really showing up, you know. Those are parlor tricks, and sometimes it works, but a lot of times it doesn't work, and it really gives all astrologers a kind of a bad name. So I tend not to uh, get involved with that. Uh, I feel a little bit awed and somewhat subdued, surrounded by these other esoterists, first of all, and with uh, a level of artistic talent that completely passes me up. I'm no kind of an artist at all. So I'm feeling a little bit like the piano tuner at Carnegie Hall somehow. Uh, like uh, I have something to do, but probably I should be doing it in the, in the quiet of uh, the back room. Uh, the feather duster at the Louvre comes to mind. Uh, you know, sort of keep things uh, tidy so people can enjoy them. And um, I thought the other day, maybe I'm a plumber at the uh, Olympic Games swimming pool, you know, be, uh, during the competition. I don't know, it's sort of on hand and want to help out if I can. So uh, that's kind of my job. And I'll go into that a little bit, uh, a little bit farther. But first of all, uh, what, is, uh, what does an astrologer do? I think it's important to start with that because it sort of will sort of set up the, the space for uh, what I have in mind for you a little later. Um, I want you to imagine, first of all, our solar system. Look at it like a 33 uh, uh, LP on a, on a record player. It's going round, 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 and suddenly all the planets are lined up on this thing. Uh, we're going to stay small. Huh? We're going to stay limited to our planetary system because if we get going way out there, there's no time. And I can't worry about the kids growing up on a planet near the Andromeda out there. You know, they've got their own problems. And I'm sure they have their own astrology, among other things, that I don't know anything about. So they'll take care of themselves. I would prefer to take care of you. And in order to do that, I want you to see this, this our solar system going around. And everybody's kind of going in the same spot, in the same, uh, in the same direction in any case. But all of a sudden, whack, down the middle of this LP comes this crashing rod that is going to stop the movement, or at least capture the movement exactly where it is. We could think of the, the silver uh, uh, block going into the old camera, you know, where you're sliding the camera in and then you allow uh, the ex, uh, exposure. The same thing happens in setting up a birth time, a looking at a birth time. A birth time, an event, a special event, we stop time and we're going to keep that picture and use it to see exactly what was going on at that time. Now, it's vast. It's vast because we are born into the general zeitgeist. The, the heavy planets are setting up situations for the entire generation. The planets accompanying the Earth are setting up situations for our generation. And the faster planets are setting up these situations, leaning on the slower planets in order to make them personal, in order to bring all this energy into our lives and how we're going to be using it very uh, specifically. So we can look at each event. We can look at an individual, individual event. Uh, certainly, we can look at each uh, birth with that in mind. I want to show you something. This, I think, is part of what is happening at this moment of birth. The, you've seen this, uh, this image before. You've seen this symbol before. Remember that all of the uh, esoteric uh, practices are using symbols. They're all symbolic languages. And so we're going to be seeing a lot of repetitions of symbols. Now, each one is going to come into these uh, symbols uh, with their own vocabulary and their own way of using them, their own way of uh, seeing what's going on symbolically. In this particular, when I see this symbol, 
I'm reminded of that moment of birth when, uh, in fact, we see the exchange between the uh, universal energy that's represented up top. This is what we might call God. We can call this chi. We can call this uh, angels. We can call this the string theory. We can call this a lot of things that talks about this incredible universal energy that's, uh, that's going to be uh, uh, available to us. Coming from uh, the upper regions, coming from the, the heavens, and then on the, the bottom triangle is, of course, us, the material world that's reaching up. And uh, we're going to see some sort of combination of the two energy, energies that looks a bit like this. This is another uh, symbol that we use very often uh, in astrology, in uh, numerology, in uh, uh, the Kabbalah, of course, in uh, all magical acts. Uh, we'll see this six-pointed star that is uh, uh, rather important in the melding of the universal and the material worlds. Uh, I find this one really fascinating, but there's another one I really like. You've seen this before, too. <laughs> uh, the, uh, in this case, and as astrologers are reading this tree of life taken from the Kabbalah, we see the constants of the flow of energy. The energy coming into the top of the tree of life, as we see it here, it's following down, coming back to earth, and inverse, we see the energy rolling up from the earth that's looking for the God energy. Uh, this is, in any case, the way astrologers tend to look at this uh, tree of life. That's another wonder, wonderful reminder of the constant flow from up to down, from side to side. Everything is in movement rather all the time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So this interaction, in fact, uh, uh, is going to mark, uh, I want you to remember this word, interaction, interrelation. We're going to hear it over and over because everything is linked in astrology. Uh, in the, we see the energies um, that are going to mark the, uh, en the, the birth with the energies of the planets. As they're in their zo zodiacal signs, we see the work of the zodiac. Now, this takes a bit of a, a leap of faith, and we'll get back to that in a minute. And as these planets are shown in the sky at the uh, time of birth, because the important part in that is the uh, geometry between the solar energy, the solar light, and the Earth's surface. This fixes uh, what we call the, the houses in uh, the astrology chart. So... I've got to say here, and I forgot one little detail that's not a detail at all. As we're looking at our solar system, we have the immense egocentric pleasure of putting ourselves in the middle of it. It's a, the way we're looking at this, at this circuit, at this vast LP, is with the Earth and ourselves. It's not only egocentric, it's geocentric. So we're sitting in the middle of this, and the planets and the sun and the moon are going around us. What fun, <laughs> what power, this is for us. And uh, it's the only way we can really read uh, modern astrology, uh, psychological astrology in any case. There is a whole school that takes into account um, uh, what they call heliocentric astrology. Personally, I found it not very valid as far as looking at what individuals are supposed to be doing on this earth. Uh, but it's another way to look at the sky and certainly has its, uh, has its reasons. I expect it's more important for um, looking at uh, things like earthquakes, movements of the earth, uh, geological in information coming from this kind of uh, uh, reading. But I'm not into it. I'd rather take care of kids. <laughs> Look at all of you guys and see what you're doing out there. 
So we, have, uh, we as astrologers are going to capture this information on paper, publish this, this photo of this birth, of this event, and then we can translate this energy uh, to, uh, in the form of a birth chart that's going to be readable for us. Now here I must say that I agree with uh, Alaskaya, who said last night that uh, time is fluid. Of course, maybe it doesn't exist at all, uh, according to certain uh, uh, geophysicists or uh, astrophysicists, and that all is now. We are projecting into the future. We're looking back in the past. We're living the present, and it's all a sort of a constant flow. Yes. I know as well, as he pointed out, that uh, uh, the shamans, for instance, are uh, opposed to taking photos of uh, uh, their work, of their events, and uh, arresting this flow. However, like him, astrologers take a great deal of pleasure in stopping time to fix this program that's uh, existing uh, uh, of a, in a birth or in order in any other event in order to build on it, in order to study it. Uh, Alaskaya is studying the uh, movements in the smoke, uh, uh, the smoke movements, and he can do this better when he stops it with a photo. I can look at a birth much better than stopping it on a birth chart and building on that. We can, we can build, we can extrapolate that we're going to do, in fact, in just a few minutes. So, um, uh, so we are the, probably with that in mind in drawing up a birth chart, we as astrologers are maybe the most science prone, I want to say, of the esoteric, uh, in the esoteric realm because we're not counting on trance states, we're not counting on um, channeling, we're not counting on outside messages coming in. All I really need to do is open an ephemeris and kind of look at these planetary positions and get a pretty good idea already of what's lined up for this, the person that's uh, in front of me. Um, so we have a sort of a shortcut in that, with that. Now, my job as an astrologer, let's get past the, uh, the bare bones here. My job as an astrologer then is to make sense of these positions and try to, as they're used as building blocks, and try to explain to my uh, client and my subject uh, what is going to be possible uh, in, uh, with the interaction, again, the interrelation of the planets in their signs, the planets in their houses. Uh, we're going to pull out of this uh, a lot of the strengths and weaknesses that a person can experience in his life. We're going to look at situations, co uh, conversations uh, among the planets that we call aspects, and these are going to set up uh, situations for the person. May, may or may not be uh, inevitable, but likely. What we can figure is going to be likely in a person's life and what he's going to be looking forward to. Again, uh, the, the word uh, interrelation is so important uh, because uh, we're going to see this word over and over again in connection to Venus, which is one of my favorite planets anyway. So from, from these factors, we can go on and extrapolate most factors in a person's life. Uh, we, can, we can predict certain health situations that are going to likely give trouble. We can, uh, we can predict uh, certain professional and other uh, vocational orientations that are going to just make good sense for this person that's uh, opposite us. The list goes on. Uh, if you know how to read a chart, nearly everything is there. But I won't bother you with that. All of that to say is uh, in what concerns us today, in fact, and what we finally want to look at is the type of artist we are and the type of uh, work we're likely to create. Now, I use the word artist very widely because to my mind, we're all artists. Everyone comes in with something he's going to be making, creating. Often, every newborn is coming in like a blank canvas, right? and is having to create himself sooner or later. 
And uh, so we're all involved in building on this, this blank canvas, uh, something that's going to make sense not only to ourselves, but to the, to the world. I kind of like to tell my clients, in fact, that each one of, each one of them is taking his brick to the wall. And no one has that brick that can go in that particular slot in that wall. And to, to my mind, we each have our own brick. Huh? This can be a, uh, a rock. Maybe a rock is even better because each one is going to be different. But uh, we have to do it ourselves. No one else can take that brick to that uh, place successfully. So, um, uh, so that's what I like to finally convey. We're all artists in one way or another. This can be in uh, plastic art. This can be in government. This can be in banking. This can be in doctoring. This can be anything, everything that we're, we feel we must do. And uh, I think as soon as you're really honest with the qualities that you were given at birth, as soon as you've understood them, as soon as you've embraced them, uh, the call is so natural to just go out and do it. Just do it. But what is an artist? Now, I have two, uh, two ideas about that. And let me just show you something. This is a card I absolutely adore, the temperance card. Because my first idea is the notion of, tra of a transformation of raw material or a medium into a finer or more eloquent or more meaningful or more beautiful or more aesthetic product. This card is fantastic. If you, if, you, if you take the pose in this card, there's an immense tension going on. And uh, this is what's really important uh, in this card. Also, the, the angel here is pouring from uh, her left hand. The pitcher is, flo is flowing into her right hand. This is not water. It's sound waves, light waves, waves of energy. And as flowing from a passive, what is the passive position, into an active position. She's receiving and passing on this energy. It's if, if I, I love to tell my tarot uh, students, get up, get out of your chairs, take this pose, and you can absolutely feel the tension that's involved and the movement, the, the very vibration that's involved in this card. I, I adore this card. Um, there's one other thing that I want to point out about the temperance. This card in German is called Kunst. Kunst is art. So we're, it's a very creative card that's changing form and pushing us from one status to another, one product to another, one raw material into something bigger. Love that. Love that lady. She's fantastic. And the second one, it goes like this. The star. My second idea about what is an artist, what are we all, is in the transformation of a thought or an emotion into a shareable expression. The, uh, the star card is the card of inspiration. It's the Neptunian card. It's the card that talks about inspiration and, um, and uh, divine guidance, if you will. My star up there, Venus. Just guess, Venus. The five-pointed star in, uh, in uh, esotericism. Uh, there's a whole other school behind um, the, the uh, importance of Venus that I won't go into tonight. But all of this to say that the other, uh, the very important uh, part of what you do as artists, what we all do finally as artists, is this notion of divine guidance some sort of inspiration that's pushing us to become what we are. That's what I'm after. And here we're coming into the muse territory. Huh? Uh, the whole idea was to talk about artists and their muses, after all. And I think this is important. Um, I was brought, I set up a workshop, in fact, for my students who were, very, who were going crazy saying, well, OK, Venus, what does this look like? What do these? What do these planets look like when they're acting, when they're doing their thing? And so I put up together a, a weekend a workshop talking about Venus and talking about Mars in each 
zodiacal sign. Now, I'm an art lover, and so I went immediately, they said they want to see these things. So I went looking for reproduction, art reproductions that showed to my very susceptible and uh, uh, personal mind what each position really looked like. And this is what I kind of want to uh, show you tonight. Uh, we're going to see the importance of Venus and Mars, uh, the action that's involved in an artist's production if and when he's being true to himself. That is to say, when he's really using these primary energies that he's been born with, and without any copying, without any shortcuts, without looking at tendance, at the tendencies that are going on in the art world around him, what is he spitting back out? This is what I think is important for me uh, as an astrologer trying to explain this to someone and certainly for the person who's going to be, uh, going to be working. I've just got a few uh, examples out of my book that I found fairly easy, fairly easy to, uh, uh, to get involved with. Let's get the first one out. This is, uh, this is Mary Cassatt, one of her multiple maternity scenes, mother and child scenes. Now, what was interesting to me in reading um, the, her, the birth chart, because finally, it wasn't enough to just throw up pictures and see what I was feeling and looking at these paintings. I finally got curious enough to go back and look at what was going on in, in the artist's mind uh, when uh, they got involved with these things. And Mary Cassatt is, proves to be the ultimate, one of the ultimate uh, Venus in uh, Cancer, Cancer that is the sign of maternity, motherhood, childhood, uh, protection, so on and so forth. All those wonderful uh, uh, emotional—it's a water sign that's uh, very much tied up with uh, with uh, child rearing and child bearing. Mary Cassette couldn't ran away from her family, a very wealthy family in Boston, and went to live in Paris because she wanted to paint. Right, right. But, and she never had her own children. She couldn't care about that. She couldn't care about any of that. But she went on to, because of this Venus in, uh, in, uh, in cancer, let me just show you where this is. If you're not into reading charts every day. Just down here. This little lady, Venus in cancer, and has been extremely uh, important in, her, in the choice of her, not only her medium, but also her subject matter. And she did, I don't know, a dozen of these maternities, among other things. Um, the next one I want to show you, it gets a little more movement, <laughs> a little more moving. This is a Jean Seurat, of course, um, the circus. I chose this painting, and it's one of my favorites. I think I ended that chapter uh, with this painting because it's so perfectly uh, an example of uh, Venus in Sagittarius. Now, which is down here. She's here this time, in Sagittarius. There's something very special about this, um, about the position of this Venus in Sagittarius. First of all, uh, the whole painting is, a Sag is Sagittarius everywhere. First of all, the yellow palette is the color of Sagittarius, the color of uh, Jupiter, the ruling planet of Sagittarius. And look at all the points, all the arrows, all the pointy things going off in every direction, plus the horse in the middle. This is Sagittarius as a centaur, after all. And so the whole subject just reeks of Sagittarian energy. It's absolutely astonishing. <laughs> I found it absolutely perfect. And uh, the other important thing about this position in, uh, in, uh, of uh, Venus in, in the third house is the mental energy involved. Now, the third house has everything to do with um, the, the thinking process. It's a Mercurian uh, part of the chart. It's where we get our verbs and, and language organized. It's where we learn to uh, play games with people, mostly with our siblings. That's also the third house. And um, uh, so all of the mental process. Now what's involved here is we have uh, this Venus in Sagittarius, very, very Venusian. But 
in a pointillist technique. Now this, to my thinking, is fascinating because this pointillist technique is so totally mental. It's so totally artificial that uh, it rhymes up perfectly with the, the mental process in the third house. That's how this game plays, you see. We put, we put these incredible energies into fields of, fields of endeavor in our lives. The houses represent, uh, yes, well, I'm trying to hold it. The houses represent, uh, there we go. The houses represent uh, fields of, uh, of activity, fields of interest in our lives. And so that's how we kind of divide up uh, uh, what's go, who's doing what to whom and, and when and, uh, and what's going to happen with all these, how to place these energies, essentially. So that's uh, one take on the uh, very mental side of this Venus, who's otherwise not terribly mental. The next one is, is just the opposite. Uh, Jean-François Jean Lyotard, who was a local boy in uh, Geneva, he uh, came from there, but he traveled everywhere, absolutely everywhere, uh, made a, quite a fortune, actually, doing pastels all over Europe in all of the the courts of uh, kings, and, kings and queens and presidents at the time, um, traveled extensively. And he dressed like this. This is so Sagittarian. He dressed like this. He loved going through the bazaars in Turkey and in Afghanistan and all over, all over everywhere. Brought back clothes, went painting and went to parties in the, these castles, all dressed up like this. Totally Sagittarius. This time Venus is in the ninth house that has everything to do with travel, with uh, extended thinking, extended uh, philosophy, with uh, adventure. I've got an arrow there so I could show it to you, uh, the green arrow up there. Uh, in the ninth house of Venus is all about uh, expanding one's ideas and trying out new things and uh, uh, pushing the art a little bit farther. It has a whole lot to do with with travel, travel abroad. So this, uh, to my thinking, it was a perfect example for uh, uh, Leotard. I'd like to finish with this fellow that I'm sure you know by now, uh, Cezanne, who's an interesting combination of our Venus down here in Capricorn, very, no, she's Venus in, in uh, Aquarius, I'm sorry, which is down here. She's got me on a leash, you see, and I can't get around the way I want to. that made of this very otherwise very stolid Capricorn figure, he was a real bear, uh, was Cezanne, uh, unlivable. Uh, but meanwhile, just aflame with this uh, Venus in, and Neptune, with the help of the inspiration of Neptune down here in Sagittarius to try out something new. He was always, he started out as the proper Capricornian, copied all the, all the old masters in the Louvre and just did all of this slog work, you know, because he wanted to become the perfect artist. Um, that wasn't going to happen. He did that for a long time, but he kept on looking. He kept on thinking, well, th this gets really boring, <laughs> you know. He said, I've got to come up with a new way of looking at things. This is the father of cubism. This was the beginning of seeing this mountain, his favorite mountain, you know, the fetish mountain, Sainte uh, Victoire, uh, again and again and again. He painted this painting, I don't know how many times, every time different, every time in another light, uh, and finally developed over time. It actually came pretty fast, as do a lot of Aquarian uh, breakthroughs finally came up with this notion of cubes of light, which is where the, the whole term comes from, instead of making you know, the proper outline and so on. Uh, fantastic fellow. And what's interesting with this, chart, with this chart is Mars up here, our other friend, uh, up here in Virgo, up here in, uh, in the uh, northeast, northwest corner of that chart. Uh, Mars in Virgo is extremely uh, methodical. It's going to take the time. This is how he did his schooling. This is how he kept organized. This poor, his, the story of his, uh, especially Mars in Virgo, 
He painted his wife also, whose name was Hortense, about 20 times. And every time he painted her, she, sat, she had to sit for him about 30 times because he was never happy with what he was seeing, with what he was doing. Just worked her to the bone. Finally, she ran away. He, they were, he was in Stone in the South in the Povals. She went away to live in Paris and forget about him because she was totally tired of his taking all this time from her life. So I, I really like this chart, and I, I love the fellow's breakthrough mentality in spite of the sun in Capricorn, the, uh, his Mars in Virgo, these, uh, you know, you've got to earn it, you've got to uh, keep plugging, keep going ahead. And this, and this Venus down here is going, let me out of here. You know, just this total breakthrough. Very, very nice. I really love this chart too. So to close, I'd like to just throw in a little Shakespeare. I always try to throw in a little Shakespeare. Listen to this from Hamlet. What a piece of work is man. How noble in reason. How infinite in faculty. In form and moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world. The paragon of animals. Now, let's be that. Okay? <laughs>